Well, Drancer, the playoffs are off and running. The Vancouver Canucks are not a part of it, but we're still going strong because there's so much to talk about around this team, and we will touch on the playoffs a little bit later. Yes, I admit, I have been watching. It's been painful watching the Leafs. It's been painful watching the Oilers. Actually, it's been fun every second night, but uh, I've been watching. And how about our boy BG? Like, what's going on with Harmon Dial doing post game for the Leafs? Is this allowed? Did you? Are you responsible for this? I'm not. No, I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't asked my opinion. I didn't sign off on it. Um, you know, obviously, if I had been, I would have volunteered to do it myself. No question. <laughs> like, I'm just thinking um, this has got to be so offensive to you that he was asked and you weren't. <laughs> you would have well, said, I'll do it as long as you fly me back and I can catch a Jays game while I'm there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I would have been the more expensive option. Uh, the yeah, the thing is. Look. That was, I mean, what a what a tough one to do. Leafs report cards for that game. No one played well. Pretty easy assignment for Harmon. Just F's across the board. Which is which is good because we like to see that. Yeah. I mean, you do anyway. I do. How, how the uh, Mariners doing? I <laughs> uh, haven't checked in a while. I know they actually, actually they won yesterday, but they were yeah. struggling. I know they had they were at about an eight game road they're, trip there where it didn't go they're well. They're sub 500. Anyway. Well, wait the, a minute. You just pumped their tires last week saying, oh, they're a pretty good team this year. So now you're going to tell me they're crap. Come on. No, no, no. Pick I one. think they're I think they're fine, but they um I think they're going to be about 500, which is good enough to make the major league playoffs. It wasn't used to, it didn't used to be like that, but now yeah. that could get you there. They um I know they're banged up. I've been reading kind of on the fringes, you know me. I don't dive into it till it matters and this doesn't matter. Uh let's um for let's let's start with um Changes around the Vancouver Canucks yeah. uh, since we last did our show. So they have made some changes to their amateur scouting department. They let go of five members of said department, including Bruce Boudreaux's son uh, and some longtime scouts. Their profession, their pro side of their scouting department is still intact. Um, just what do you make of the changes so far? Well, you know, I'm of I'm sort of of two minds. On the one hand, you know, there's certainly some of the guys that ended up losing their jobs uh, you know ted hampson uh tim leonard and like these are extremely loyal hard-working guys been around the organization forever and i heard some belly aching within the industry about it right on the other hand i also heard some criticism within the industry that perhaps this the changes hadn't gone far enough that people were expecting um you know sort of larger changes and that based on the department's performance uh certainly certainly in the last couple of years under under benning and granted they didn't have a ton of pick value, right? But I mean, they're very un- they're very likely to have got nothing that contributes meaningful NHL games to the club in the 2020 and 2021 draft classes, and that's that's tough. I mean that that leaves you where the Canucks are right now, where there's just not a lot coming that you can sort of count on. You know, where you're like, well, Myronberg might be a depth player. It's like, oh my god. So well, you know, and, and that brings up a bigger picture discussion right because we've all been enamored with what happened in Abbotsford in April and as that ended unceremoniously with a two-game thud uh, you know it, it puts Trent Cole and Ryan Johnson and and just the whole process into question and I think you and I both agree that, that Ryan Johnson's a very valuable member of this organization but that becomes part of it so we'll go through the names real quick Derek Richard Tim Lenarden Brandon Benning Pat Conacher Ted Hampson were all let go Benning and uh, Richard uh, Benning was the WHL scout. Richard, the Eastern North America scout, were both hired by Jim Benning and uh, and John Weisbrod. Um, so you know, so again, that's that's a significant change. And when you go through this, like this organization simply hasn't developed, right? Like we can talk about 
uh, Cole Lind, or we can talk about Jonah Gadjevich, or we can talk about Zach McEwen, who who have all you know had varying degrees of success in other organizations. Really, McEwen had some. The other two were just kind of in and out of the lineup and weren't significant pieces uh, in San Jose. Jonathan Dolan, of course, has been with the Sharks, and and that didn't go well for a number of reasons, but. Yes, they haven't had pick value. And yes, you know, I've said repeatedly that the top prospects have been fast-tracked into the main organization and didn't get any marinating time in the American Hockey League level. But you've got to get something out of that. You still have to get something out of that. And when we watch playoffs where Jet Wu is a 12th forward playing defense and Danila Klimovich is sitting in the stands and Jack Rathbone isn't getting enough ice time, like... There's problems there where sometimes the big picture doesn't necessarily get seen. So you've got, you know, the scouting piece falls into all of that, in my opinion. It's all part of the same issue. It's hard to disagree. And and it sort of speaks to why this club needs <laughs> changes, right? Like like wider scale changes. And and comes back too to that note that Alvin made about scouting reports being filed correctly, right? A- about the enormity of the task at hand in modernizing this organization. This isn't a situation, I think, where new management has come in and is trying to get their hands around this sort of unwieldy ship of state. They've sort of come in and been like, oh, this is this is a rebuild. And not a rebuild in terms of the team's process, but in terms of like, you know, I, I don't mean I don't mean they need to tank. <laughs> not that type of rebuild. I mean like rebuilding like nodes of organizational functioning. Uh, I, I mean, I think that's a pretty fundamental task that they're going to be going through here. And, I, you know, they'll they'll ramp up. I, I'd expect we'll see some yeah, probably not insignificant hirings on the amateur side in time, whether we see that before the draft or, or thereafter. I'm not exactly sure. I, I think we'll see a pro scout added as well. And otherwise, I don't expect that department to be tweaked too significantly yet. Um, clearly, they've found some people they like, right? Like Todd Harvey is going to stick around. So what do we make of that? Like, Real quick, what do we make of that? They were very complimentary about Todd Harvey. Patrick Alvin was. Mm-hmm. And so were these Alvin and Rutherford's decisions? Was this Todd Harvey's decision? And, and you know, what do you make of the fact that they say all these great things about Harvey, but five guys got let go? I would assume, I would assume collaborative. I mean, Harvey came into the job in 2020 after Brackett's departure and ran his first draft without a promotion, right? Wasn't officially the director for another six months beyond that. And, you know, being the director under Benning and Weisbrot, I I do think there was a fair bit of, um, you know, involvement, right? I mean, they were very involved in the draft in the draft process. And I think that's partly what, you know, hastened Brackett's departure from the club. So, you know, I, I think... Overall, when you look at Harvey, the rep within the industry anyway is like pretty open-minded, pretty progressive. Um, there's obviously a close relationship too with Scott Walker there. Um, so, you know, I, I do think there's I do think there's regard for him internally. I, I wasn't shocked that he ended up um, you know, maintaining his perch despite the changes, and I would expect it that it was a collaborative process. Uh, with you know Harvey and and on the pro side too, Brett Henning's going to remain as director. He was in town for the trade deadline, um, which you know the moment I saw Brett Henning in town for the trade deadline, I thought, oh okay, I wonder if there's going to be more stability on the pro side than I'd maybe expected. Uh, that does seem to be the case. Um, so you know, I think part of the idea, part of the idea is that 
And and look, here's the other thing. These are the first real dismissals in the Rutherford era, right? Uh, John Wall and Chris Gear were dismissed after the day after Rutherford was hired, but before he was in town, he never met them, right? And now you sort of look through the organization and and Brett Henning and um and Todd Harvey, the two directors of the scouting departments, have sort of been further empowered, right? They've added to the analytics department and and Aiden Fox is expected to at some point be made a director. That's sort of the the industry expectation anyway. He's been, you know, pretty involved in a variety of high level um items that the club has dealt with since Rutherford took command. So clearly there's a move to see what some of the people that they've found here can do with better support, better direction. And, and so in in Harvey and Brett Henning's case, they, they remain directors of the department, but clearly the level of oversight and guidance that they're getting in the way that they're working with people like Alvin and Cami Granado and Derek Clancy and Cami Granado looming sort of largest, I think, in terms of uh, setting strategic direction at the moment anyway, within the, both of those scouting departments, you know, I think speaks sort of uh, speaks to an approach that's not really scorched earth within within the front office, even as the club looks to pretty significantly change direction. Yeah, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're names that everybody in the world, as far as Canuck fans, aren't going to necessarily resonate with, right? It, because, you know, these aren't top of the organization. But you're right, uh, you know, symbolically, uh, these, it, it, these are statement moves. And they're important moves because... Again, this organization, you've got to be able to mine something. We understand they've traded away first-round picks, but you know a lot of organizations get mileage out of second-round picks and find one deep in the draft. And you know when you look at the Canucks, we've talked about it before. I mean, Nils Hoglander, second-round pick, um, Thatcher Demko, second-round pick. But other than that, the cupboard's been pretty bare in that regard. Yeah, yeah, and and that's partly too because the club just hasn't made enough picks, right? I mean, that's. It's hard to divorce pick value from outcomes, right? Who's the best drafting team in the league? Well, it's the team that makes the most picks as a general rule. Um, you know, I, I'd, I'd bet you that over the last two years, what's the team that had the most success? It's going to be Carolina or Ottawa because they took the most swings. Um, volume, volume matters. And, um, you know, the Canucks haven't shot at a high enough volume at the draft. And, and you know, I, I wonder how much that'll change. Like you look through this year, they don't have their second round pick. And I wouldn't be shocked if they try to find ways to add picks to their arsenal for this draft year. I, I I would be far from shocked. I would expect the Canucks will run at a draft surplus the next two years, which, you know, will take some doing considering that they're down one, right? They only have 13 of 14 at the moment. And yet I bet, I would bet 2022, 2023, the club will make more than 14 picks at the draft. That's like a prediction for me. So... I do think you're going to see a different orientation there, and that's going to matter a lot more, to be totally honest with you, than, you know, who's your Western area scout, right? Like, you just, you need kicks at the can. Um, you need kicks at the can, and you need a, a contemporary approach. Um, so, you know, we'll we'll sort of see where this goes, but there there feels like there's a lot happening behind the scenes right now. Uh, scouting changes. Uh, the Boudreaux thing remains sort of uh, hanging over the club at the moment. Um, I think this week's a really pivotal week just to shift gears a little. I, I think if I think if this has a happy ending for those Canucks fans who want to chant Bruce, there it is, as a sign off during wins next year. I think this is a really crucial week for that. The you know, 
the longer this drags on, the more I begin to to think that Boudreaux's gonna depart. Put it that way. I feel like if it's put to bed this week, that would be a very good sign, <laughs> obviously, in terms of the Canucks keeping Boudreaux. Now, a lot of people reading a lot into the fact that Boudreaux was part of Kuzmenko interviews, Andre Kuzmenko interviews, as Absolutely. Elliot Friedman reported over the weekend. Yeah, he what do you make of that? Well, he was also at um, the AHL game, the Hershey Bears uh, versus Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins AHL playoff game. Now, he lives in Hershey, goes to games all the time, uh, you know, big hockey nerd, so not a not a huge shocker there, but... I mean, is there a world where he's involved with the Canucks in terms of planning for next season, but still departs ultimately because of how it all sitting, went down? If you're Maybe. sitting there in that meeting with Kuzmenko and his agent, Dan Milstein, like, what do you say when they ask you if you're going to be back? Well, you say yes, but, you know, what's I mean, you're a football guy. What's said during recruiting <laughs> well, there is always, always needs to be, uh, you know, taken with a grain of salt right i mean more lies get told on july 1st than in any other day on the hockey calendar we all know this right yeah so i mean you say yes but can you take that to the bank i wouldn't well let, let's stay on boudreau for a second i want to get into kuzmenko a little more i after still, the break. I, still I just want to i just want to note i still think boudreau's more likely like i would I, if i had to bet and i wouldn't bet with any confidence because i i, I wow do think this that's one's not up like you air. you bet a lot I wouldn't bet with a lot of confidence, but I would bet that Boudreaux returns. I just, you know, the fact that it's lingering certainly has my eyebrows furrowed. And the reason it's lingering is simply he's waiting to see what other options come open, or is there more to it than that? Well, I I mean, one would think that the way that it went down with that presser makes it a tougher decision, right? No question. I mean, because certainly at his press conference, he seemed to think they were moving forward with an extension and that it was going to get done. And then the next day, the conversation was completely different. So I don't know if it's taken him a while to get over that. But, you know, the Vegas situation, um, he'd have to have a sense of where that's going already. The Philly yep. situation, he'd have to have a sense of where that's going already. Right? I mean, you know, like, think of how he got hired here. He got Those conversations began before Travis Green got let go. Uh, his agent's pretty savvy and aggressive. Um, you, you'd have to think those conversations have already been had to a point to get an indication if those options are going to be there. Obviously, you don't know about the Toronto situation, but there are some that you've got to, you know, even today, right? The Islanders parted ways with Barry Trotz. And yeah, so what's not, up with that? I know. I, for sure. I, I agree with you. Ridiculous. But at, the, at the same time, again, clarity is coming as far as Bruce Boudreaux is concerned. Yeah. So, yeah. What's you waiting coming? on? What's you waiting on? I mean, that the, he's got the he's got the contractual right to wait till June first. I'm sure the club doesn't love that, but he's got that right if he wants to see what shakes loose. But I mean, if you're waiting, you're soliciting other offers, or you're interested in hearing what what's out, what else is out there. Period. Right. I mean, there's no other explanation that makes a ton of sense. So, I think we'll have to wait and see but you know the kuzmenko detail is a is a crucial one if you're if you're hopeful that bruce returns right like the kuzmenko detail certainly seems to point in the direction that boudreaux has been part of a pitch to a a really interesting really intriguing player we'll get into this on the other side um but you know a, a player that could really help potentially this team and so the fact that he was part of that recruiting pitch um 
you know, I, I do think I do think points in in a certain direction. And yet, you know, the sense I had late last week was that there was frustration on both sides and that this one was very much up in the air. Um, and then the sense I had over the weekend was, hey, maybe there's more here. And I wonder if you can sort of square that with, you know, while while it remains up in the air, the relationship's good enough that Boudreaux's still part of the planning process. And yet, you know, until it's done, until he decides that, in fact, he wants to come back, um, you know, w- w- uh, on, under the firm terms that Rutherford's enumerated, which is no extension, um, you know, until that's until that's sort of announced, I, I do think there's going to be some doubt, and certainly in my mind, uh, about which way this is going to go. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So with, we've still got three weeks to go, Drancer, as far as Bruce Boudreaux is concerned. Do you expect him to take the entire three weeks? Because as you said, this next week, many people believe this situation is going to come to a head, that it's a critical week in the process. Do you think we know a week from now who the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks is, or at least whether or not it's going to be Bruce Boudreaux, or is it going to take another couple of weeks beyond that? I mean, I think I think if it's more like I don't want to gauge the timeline so much as suggest this. If we don't know this week, then my confidence in Boudreaux returning diminishes significantly. Like I would peg it as more likely than not today. If it happens, if it doesn't happen this week, I will probably be just on the other side of 50% when we record next Monday. Like, that's sort of how I'm viewing it. The longer it drags out, the more convinced I become that Boudreaux's interested in seeing what's out there. Yeah, and and again, I mean, in terms of the plum jobs for him, you have to believe there's been some clarity on at least a couple of them. So, you know, we'll see what happens with the Leafs and and if they lose and Harmon covers it objectively and we find out how bad they are. Uh, and, and we, you know, we have you in a bad way once we get to this VanCast next week after they lose in six. Uh, you know, then, then you know, we, maybe it changes. But as far as as far as I'm concerned, hey, it's it really coin doesn't. Flip, it's coin flip hockey, man. It's it, it is. I know. I'm just messing with you. Hey, what uh, do you think? Do you think do you think having crowds like in the NBA? I feel like we're seeing the home teams just win a ton more than I'd I'd have expected based on team quality, and they're not just winning; they're the they're blowouts. Like teams hang around, and then the last little bit of the fourth, they get absolutely throttled when they're the road team, even if you think they're the better team. Um, you know, we even you we've we even saw that with like Golden State and Memphis. And Golden State's a a pretty clearly the better club here, and yet when they're in Memphis, it's like. The, the the war the Memphis Grizzlies just closed so hard in the fourth quarter, and we're seeing it in the NHL too. Like I wonder if we're seeing so many blowouts in part because we had this frame of time where there weren't crowds, there wasn't that like energy. I wonder if players are just not as accustomed to dealing with that, those emotional swings, and as a result, like you're seeing blowouts one way or the other if things are going bad against you and the energy in the building changes it feels like it snowballs and vice versa if things are going your way 
it feels like you're blowing the team out. You're not just stopping at three goals. You're adding five. You're not just stopping at a 4-1 lead over the Florida Panthers. You're making it seven. Um, I sort of wonder to what extent the absence and then the prompt return of crowds has impacted the playoffs in both sports that I'm watching. Like, I wonder if home ice advantage, and it's not that the home teams are always winning in hockey, because in hockey, you can also get the the nervous crowd, right? We've seen that in Vancouver, where, where they're and over. Where, where a goal goes against you early in the crowd. Like, but I wonder how much the how much the impact of the crowd is having and if it's been larger than in past seasons theoretically like just as a just as a theory i've been kicking over watching these games across both sports i sort of wonder if you know the absence the absence of the crowd noise and then its return has sort of impacted this playoff playoff run more than i would have expected going into it well, since we're here, let's let's get into some of the playoffs, and we'll get to Kuzmenko in our final segment. So, if you're if you're waiting for Canucks, you will get more. Um, it is interesting for me. Basketball, I've always it's been so home court driven, and the reason for that is the officiating and how the crowd impacts the officiating, and how the crowd impacts teams to be hyper aggressive to draw the calls that they get. But then. You look at what's happening in that Bucks Milwaukee series, and yeah, there was a bad call on a three-point attempt that should have been a three-point shooting foul uh, in the last game, but they called it a two-point or a two-shot foul from the floor. But when you look at what happened at the end of that game, um, Boston got 17 free throws in Milwaukee. They got the final 17 free throws in the fourth quarter. Milwaukee didn't get any. And that just doesn't happen at home. It's such a departure from how games are decided because generally teams just get more aggressive. They drive uh, and they get that call because the fans are right on top of the officiating. And studies have shown this in the NBA that you get more calls at home than you do on the road. But then looking at that game, it happened completely differently, but then the home team wound up winning it anyway. Um, You know, the one thing that's always impressed me with hockey playoffs is momentum doesn't exist. It just doesn't. Not game I mean, to game anyway. No, game to game, it, it simply doesn't happen. And you, no. you look at a team and they're so impressive. You look at these two series involving Edmonton and Toronto, and the winning team has looked so impressive each time out. You think they've got it figured out and they're going to roll the rest of the way. Yeah. And the next game, it simply doesn't happen. It's it's completely flipped, right? And I mean, I always say you can only win one game. On any given night, like no matter how bad things go for you, you can only lose one game on any given night, too. Well, and it's it's not Champions League, right? It's it's not aggregate. Right. And it'd be fun if it was, by the way, as, um, as, as Kevin Bieksa coined way back in 2014. Yeah. When Calgary smacked the Canucks in one game. Right. And the and the so. I always almost think like, especially this rule especially applies for me in games three and games five, which to me are sort of those crucial uh, hinges, hinge games within a series. I almost think you're better off getting blown out because, you know, you get a response in the in the do or die game. The next one, you know, like I always think like, you know, watching Florida just get their asses kicked uh, on Saturday. And. It's, you know, 7-1. They just could not break. I, 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 that's a pretty inexperienced coaching staff, right? And, there, and there's some really smart people on it. But, you know, Andrew Burnett, Derek McKenzie, uh, Tomo Rutu, and, um, and Ulf Samuelson, right? I mean, there's not a ton of, like, coaching playoff experience on that bench. 
and they're they're trying to break down this sort of one three one neutral zone four check that the caps install just to trap it up and prevent them from playing their five man game. And they kind of stop playing the game that's in front of them. This is my this is my hardcore Panthers analysis for everybody. Um, and yet, you know, they're down two one. I'm not saying the Caps aren't going to get this done or can't get this done. They certainly can, especially now that they're playing their better goaltender. But I won't be stunned if that's the last game the Panthers lose in this series. And I almost think the fact that they got blown out makes me feel more confident about how they're going to play tonight. Like, you know that they're going to come out tonight. And whether they win or lose, it's hockey. It can be random. They're going to put together an outrageous performance. Like, I would expect a high-octane performance from that team. So, you know, I almost sort of think there's, there's games where you get blown out and I'm like, okay, well, that's almost a better result than having grinded and played well and dominated play and gotten your heart broken in a squeaker. Right there's there's situations like that over the course of the playoffs too that I sort of keep in mind pretty closely. Yeah, see, for me, I, I've I've just never felt I've never felt that in the NHL. Like I've always been so impressed with the mental resilience of players. Right? I mean, you look at that Pittsburgh game mm-hmm. to go to triple overtime and win should gut New York, and it didn't. Yeah. No. And that happens over and over. You see the most gutting result, and you you know you're right that yeah, it's easier to respond after getting blown out but teams respond regardless like that's the best part of this and while we haven't seen a lot of close compelling games outside of a couple of overtimes we are seeing deep series across the board right i mean other than the avalanche and predators right like all of these series could go pretty deep yeah i don't think i don't think all of them will but yeah i mean it's setting up to be a pretty interesting week of hockey which is a ton of fun um one one quick note on the Rangers Penguins thing, right? Like the Rangers lose, they're down to their third, or the Penguins are down to their third goalie, right? Louis Domingue. How good of a story is that? Awesome, just awesome. And and by the way, does he these, still bake cookies? I, I'm sure he does. Um, spicy pork cookies. Um, these uh, these little appearances by goaltenders, like they extend careers. Like this is unbelievable for Louis Domingue. This will extend his career. He might earn another one-way contract out of this or another couple one-way contracts. Like, you remember Danny Sabrin coming in and making yeah. 10 saves in relief of Luongo? Like, I know for sure that he thinks that if Luongo doesn't have to, you know, go, <laughs> um, that his career would have ended sooner. Instead, he ends up getting a couple more deals. Like, it was probably, you know, it was a uh, a brief bathroom break for Luongo but it was probably worth multiple millions of dollars to Sabarin in terms of how he was viewed by the industry uh Louis Domingue same thing like this is going to earn him a million two million three million dollars over the next four or five years because of how he's performed Uh, you love to see it good for him yeah no question I mean you know like the ultimate teammate and the guy that just appreciates every minute of what he's doing right totally and and last thing last thing on uh Domingue uh, the Penguins, this is the difference, right, between structure and not. Like, this is the difference, right? If the New York Rangers were down to their third goalie, this would be a four-game series. Period. Period. Yeah, but They're, you couldn't have predicted you couldn't have predicted Domingue to do this, right? Like, if, if it had gone no, the other no, way, no, you no. would have looked at it and said, but, oh, wait a minute. Like, I mean, as if they were ever going to win it, with Domingue as the goalie. If it had gone the other way, though, 
If it had gone the other way, I would. Well, but I mean, there, we had Casey DeSmith in the series before, and I didn't have a ton of confidence in him. And I still picked the Penguins in six, right? Because you know, I I, I believe I believe in the impact of goaltending. Like, the, here's the thing: you can win the cup with an average goaltender, but you can't win the cup with average goaltending. You know what sure. I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I got you. You get that distinction? Yeah. So per player you know, versus process. Yeah. I, I just think I just think it's hard to predict who's going to get hot in the playoffs. Like you never know. I mean, look at look at uh, Vasilevsky versus Campbell. Like has Vasilevsky been an edge for the Tampa Bay Lightning in that series? I don't think so. No. Like they've they that neither goalie has been good on a night they lost. Right. Fair. Yeah. Completely so. Fair. And and that's kind of how it works. Now, would you rather have Vasilevsky for the next three games? For sure. But is it very possible that Campbell's better than Vasilevsky two of three nights, considering it's a three-game sample now? Yeah, it is. Totally. Um, you have greats that have letdowns over small samples. You have nobodies who crush it over small samples. It's so unpredictable that you, you that's not the edge. Like, that's an edge you want, but it's not the only, like, it's not, enough to overcome being an inferior side and and just flop the goaltending situations if the rangers were down to their third goaltender it would be a sweep if the penguins are down to their third goaltender i still like them i still think they got a real shot to win in fact they're favored to win at the moment so well they have the lead but like they're favored to win so so what do we make of calgary dallas but well i picked that to be a six gamer Okay, I thought but that, I, I thought talk that to me about close. the goaltending and how you see this game and whether or not the ghosts from two years ago are playing in or whether or not Ottinger's yeah. going to steal it and Markstrom's been okay. Like you know, what are we what are we looking at in this series? Because you and I both felt the Dallas Stars were not a good hockey team. Well, no, and I for, still feel that. Let me and be for clear. everybody saying that you know the Canucks never should have made it. Well. Dallas is not a good hockey team. And I've got the other side saying, oh, they're playoff built. They've got the best top line for playoffs and they, they know what they're doing. And I'm thinking, really? Like, no, I don't buy that. I just think I just think when you're playing in a low event series, right, when you're playing in a series that has what, nine goals across three games, well, it's pretty easy for a couple of those to go against you. Right. I mean, that's that's why, like, if you want to understand why talent wins in the NBA, and why in the NHL it's such a team level game, like the way that I've always thought about it is, you know, in your average half of basketball, there's 90 shot events, 90, right? In the average full game of hockey, there's 60, right? So it's like 180 versus 60. So your talent in the NBA has three times the opportunity to impact, and, and it's probably more but three times the opportunity to impact the the final score, right? I, I mean, it's literally a volume shooting at the draft, volume shooting in terms of events. Your skill has more opportunity to impact the game and be decisive on the outcome of the game just by the nature of the sport. When you play a particularly low event series, Dallas uh, and Calgary being sort of the, the most prime example in the playoffs, that means that you're more susceptible to the whims of the hockey gods right like one rebound goal against you in a 2-2 game in the third period and you're and you're sunk right like there's not enough goal events for the flames to insulate themselves uh, against an inferior club and so i still think they're going to win this series i'm not doing the calgary panic thing but you know that's the risk you run playing sutter hockey like i do think that they are better suited 
to playing a higher octane team that comes at them a little more than they are playing their mirror image opponent in, in a Dallas Stars. And they're not a mirror image opponent because the Calgary Flames are materially better. It's just that the styles are similar in a way that causes it to be a m- sort of mucky affair, which is why I thought that the Dallas Stars, despite thinking just about nothing of them, especially the way they, they play uh, under bonus, um, you know, I, that's why I thought they were going to be a tough opponent. I, I expected this to be a long series, uh, even at the outset, just because that's that's kind of how it works when you both when both teams sort of agree to, to play in this kind of dull manner. I think you're right on all counts on it, except I do think Ottinger might be getting into the heads of some of Calgary's top players, including Ottinger's awesome. But awesome. like you can tell that top line is squeezing the stick, their collective stick a little bit. Yeah, but but that's, you know, again, no game to game momentum. Like, will you be shocked if that line has a five goal outburst? No, tonight? but it's been it's been pretty much the entire series, has it not? No, it has. But I mean, I'm just saying that that, that changes at the drop. It takes one weird bounce, you know, like I always yeah, fair remember. Enough. I always remember the Alex Edler broken stick. At the at the start of the second period of Game Three in Boston, right, the Canucks get the Aaron Rome major and they kill it off, and it's the start of the second period. And right off the draw, Alex Edler goes to make a stick check and his stick breaks, and the and the Bruins get. And it was like this moment where all of a sudden the floodgates broke open, and this yeah. Boston team that had nothing going started to fly. Um, that's all it takes. That's all it takes. Sometimes you get that one fucking break, and it makes a huge difference. Let's take a break. When we come back, um, we do want to get into uh, Kuzmenko and a few other Canuck topics before we wrap up this episode of the VanCast. So, Drancher, we talked earlier about the Canucks, also the Oilers. They've already met with Andre Kuzmenko. There are other teams in this mix, including the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, What sense are you getting from the Canucks' opportunities to land this player, who he is as a player, and how he could potentially change the trajectory not that he's going to all of a sudden make the Canucks a contender but in terms of a value player coming in a player that's 26 years old um, you know ready to come in and make not an impact but just play at a National Hockey League level right now and what that could do to this lineup let's talk a bit about Kuzmenko and, and the possible fit here and the likelihood of the Canucks landing him Look, this would be a huge coup for the Canucks if you can land Kuzmenko. I mean, period. It's it's found money. Now, do I think Kuzmenko is a superstar player in year one? Probably not. But I don't think it's out of the question, right? This is a guy. Superstar player. Wow, that's big. This is a guy at the age of 26. Um, he sort of spiked in the KHL this year for, for Scott St. Petersburg. 53 points in 45 games. That makes him a pretty rare performer. Like, it's not common to be point per game plus at the age of 26. We haven't seen it that often. And when we have seen it, typically, the player has, you know, at least played NHL games. So the the two guys who I could find that were proper comps for Andre Kuzmenko in his age 26 season. Uh, the first one is a is a really intriguing name that people may remember. He he was probably on that list of guys who, you know, should have got another shot. <laughs> but this is I'll start with the I'll start with the bad news comp for Canucks fans. Um Stefan DaCosta. Okay, so Stefan DaCosta, you remember he was like a highly there was a big um there was a big competition to get him signed out of Merrimack where he was, you know, dominant 
in, in, for a couple of years, and and he ended up going to the Ottawa Senators. He's a French-born player, and in his age, twenty-six season for Moscow, um, you know, he didn't he didn't play the whole year, but we're we're talking about a guy who was you know a, a 20, 20 point and twenty-four game guy. This is this is one of those classic like in the new NHL, you feel like he might have had a very different career than he did uh, when he you know broke in and just played a couple of years for the Senators before heading over to Europe. Um, but that's one of the comps. So that's your that's your sort of bad news comp. Your good news comp, however, is Alexander Radulov, and these are the only two that I could find based on my rubric, right? Based on my like offhand way of looking at it. This is how I do player comps. I look at size, um, you know. Radulov's 6'1", Stefan DaCosta's 5'11", so uh, Kuzmenko's 5'11", so I'm looking for guys in, in and about that range, roughly the same weight, um, you know, same age, same league, how did they fare? Radulov's the other comp, in his age 26 season, he was point per game, 34 points in 34 games. Now, the year before, he was 20 points over point per game, and the next year, he was 25, so uh, it was sort of a down year, he had some injuries that season, it was like the Olympic year. But nonetheless, Radulov's a real comp for Kuzmenko. And, you know, Radulov came over to the NHL in his age, like came back to the NHL to sign with the Montreal Canadiens in his age 28, um, no, 29 season. And over the next three years had, you know, 200 points, like 200 points in the league over the next three years. Um, that's a really good player. Like, that's a really good player. I think there's... You know, I don't think Kuzmenko is Radulov, but I think there's a level just underneath that that he could maybe hit. And if you can get that player without spending an asset on an entry level deal, nonetheless, for next season, I mean, that's huge. That's huge. And then from Kuzmenko's end, a lot of this is about opportunity because you have to work on an entry level contract for next year, but you're setting yourself up for a big payday the year after. You can't do that if you're not getting minutes, right? Like, you need to be getting minutes. If the Canucks are able to land Kuzmenko, I would think they have to move some of their glut of wingers, top six wingers in particular. I would think that would be a crucial part of what the Canucks are pitching, too. Like, come come play for us, and you'll get, you know, a massive opportunity with with a good center. And Do they, do they really have a glut of top six wingers? I think so. I mean, Garland, Miller, Besser. Yeah, but it, it, it clarifies what you could then do with Miller. Like you could leave him in the middle, which Boudreaux clearly likes doing. Yeah, you could. Right. Uh, but I'm but I'm because just saying, if, you, I mean, if you've decided you could play if you've decided you could play him in the middle, you could, you know, you you've got Besser and you've got Garland. And you know, and then after that, you could keep um uh Pod Colson, you know, as a as a pretty good play driver on a third line. Yeah. And, well, and we may see that approach, but but I mean, I, Kuzmenko would be a coup for this organizational end, particularly because there's so many hands in the pot, so many people pitching here. But I mean, Vancouver would be a this would be a tremendous get for the Canucks if they're able to land the player. And I, I think there's a real chance that he's, you know. Useful, I, I, I wouldn't, you know, I, I sort of threw around superstar. I'm not saying he's a superstar player, but do I think he could be a top six guy? I do. Like, I really do think there's reason to believe that he could be a top six caliber contributor next season what's what are his timelines because there were three other teams that were he was reportedly talking to in the coming days after getting the Canucks and Oilers out of the way 
Yeah, one would think one would think that we're still a couple of weeks out, and then I, I would also expect there to be some complications from the immigration process. Um, yeah, it's really tough. Point. It's really tough to get work visas anyway post pandemic, but it's extra tough to get work visas for people coming out of uh, you know a, a belligerent country that's at war at the moment, uh, which Russia is. So you know, I I do think there's a fair bit of work to be done there and and could that be a disadvantage not just for the canucks but also for the edmonton oilers through this process um you know i'm sure kuzmenko's camp hopes not but the the vasily podkolzin experience is still fresh in my mind and that took you know four or five months to get it done um so you know and that was before the war so we'll see. Like, but do you we'll think see, that factors but I think into the decision making? Friedman reported Vegas, Carolina, and Nashville among the other teams uh, that uh, he's had meetings with. And um, let's see, Pittsburgh and oh, sorry, no, uh, yeah, those three teams he's all he's already met with. So I mean, we'll see. I, I just think I just wonder about the Canadian factor and if the if the immigration thing disadvantages the Canadian teams that are that are you know in the bidding process. Uh, that would be something that I'd be sort of watchful for watchful of as sort of a like a invisible hand factor that could prove decisive down the line here so uh we're just about to wrap things up here when are we doing our, our next live room you want to do that later this week yeah i'm down let's um i don't uh, do you want to do like a post game do you want to do like a post playoff game one uh we could yeah we could we could do it uh maybe after the next after game six of uh of leafs and uh, of leafs tampa and then, then it would. But be I don't want to make like, our show about that game. Yeah. Well, also, then it would be. Um, then it would be uh, Troy Stetcher live watch. <laughs> Love Good it. for him, eh? Good Love for him. It. Scores yeah, you a know goal. What? The play it on is. the empty netter was awesome. Troy, Troy Stetcher coming in clutch. They should have played him earlier. You know, this is this is one of those guys. Like everyone draws it up on their whiteboard and tries to keep him out of the lineup, but he's just so sharp. He's just so smart. So competitive. And such an effective defensive player, he's always going to get his way into the lineup. And once he's there, he's going to hold on. Like he's one of those guys. Tremendous loss for the Canucks. Well, given the salary, absolutely right. I mean, he could he could be a regular in Vancouver's right side tomorrow. And oh, I know that he, they felt they needed to I'm move sorry, on from he, him. So he'd be their best right-handed defenseman or their second-best right-handed defenseman. Period. Yeah, I, I, look, you're not going to get an argument from me. And I no. understand why they wanted to move on. They felt that that's an area we have to upgrade on. And, you know, that they, they, there were limitations. They, but but they to me, didn't. no, they didn't. And and to me, when you look at him, it's just the, you know, the sum is so much greater than the whole of its parts, right? Like, he's just always yeah. effective. And to see him play alongside Alex Edler, boy, we've seen that movie before. And that worked out well for him. Oh, uh, He's the perfect guy to play with Edler. If you have, like, a, you know, relatively immobile defensive focused defenseman and, and want to pair him with a guy on a third pair like Troy Stetcher's your guy Troy Stetcher's your fit so no I love I love to see it that's that's what it comes down to I love to see him do well and uh, and thought he played brilliantly for the Kings on Sunday and that Kings team they're hanging tough they're hanging tough a lot of people didn't give them a chance I thought they'd win we'll see well, well see. you talk about you talk about goaltending like quick has been so up and down because if you saw the way he played at the end of the year, you would have thought playoff quick was back after quite an absence. But now he's showing why that absence has been there. Like, you know, there, yeah, there I mean, I'd been... be playing Cal Peterson. Would you? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, regardless, when when they've won, quick has been exceptional. And when they've lost, quick has been meh. Yep. And no the question. Oilers can make you meh. But just the way uh, the, yes, the way he's been 
the way he's been playing, but also I think LA's been doing a really good job against Edmonton's power play in those wins, right? I mean, they had Edmonton had opportunities last night, and I I thought I thought their penalty kill was really good. Yeah, they're a good two-way team and and an imposing opponent. To, like That's a measuring stick opponent that the Canucks have to be mindful of because this Kings team, they're going to control the trade market to the extent that they want to in the years ahead. They have, they have you know rebuilt better and they are better today than the Canucks are. Um, you know, that's the team like that's the team you're chasing, because by the time this team is ready two, three years down the line. Like, that's the team that's going to be ascendant in the West, in the Pacific. So, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm not being alarmist. I think you have to keep, you know, uh, you have to keep a side eye on the Kings um, if you're Vancouver in terms of charting what's next for your club. Like, that's the team. It's not about closing the gap with Vegas, who's, you know, two years from now, like most of their best players are going to be 32, with the exception of Shea Theodore and, you know, um, Jack Eichel. Um, you know, that, that, I'm not saying they're not a threat down the line. They are, but that's not the primary sort of concern for me. That's uh, not the Calgary Flames either. It's it's really going to be the Kings. The Kings are the measuring stick team. The team Vancouver is chasing, even if um, you know, even if right now anyway, they're not seen as this Pacific juggernaut. Well, uh, they're going to have their next crack at it in a couple of nights here. That series sitting at two apiece, and the Kings certainly look good. They were full value from start to finish. They owned the first period. Uh, Edmonton wasn't able to tilt the ice at all in the third period. Uh, the Kings were absolute full value. And, and quite frankly, if Smith didn't play the way he did early, it would have been over earlier. So, uh, But, hey, what does that mean? It means nothing in these playoffs because momentum doesn't matter game to game. Edmonton going back home can turn it on just as quickly as for us hey if you're looking for more podcast options ian mendez has the athletic hockey show he'll have a full recap of a busy weekend of playoff hockey in the nhl on monday and as for us thanks for listening to the vancast please follow us on your favorite podcast platform don't forget to leave a rating and a review right now you can get annual subscriptions to the athletic for just one dollar a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash vancast stay stay um Stay on our social media because we'll let you know exactly when we're going to go. But right now, the plan is to go Wednesday. We'll just figure out what time and whether or not we do a live room. So we'll keep you updated on all of that as the week progresses. For Drancer, I'm Farhan. Thanks for logging on.